Well, as I say to all my guests, Jackie, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. For many of you who have supported this show for over 15 years listening to my podcast, we have a great guest joining us, and her name is Jackie Jenkins-Scott, and the book we're going to be talking about is The Seven Secrets of Responsive Leadership. Um, Jackie, good day to you. You're joining us from what city? I am joining you from Boston, Massachusetts. Beautiful Boston, Boston, Massachusetts. I hope you're having a lovely day there like we are in we San are. Diego. Good. It's been warm here, but today we had a little rain this morning, but it's uh, it's lovely. Summer cool. in New England, you can't beat it. No, it cooled you down a bit. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let our listeners know a bit about you. And okay. for all of you who want to go to her website, she has a beautiful website. We were just talking about that. It's J-J-S-A-D-V-I-S-I-N-G. So it's jjadvising.org. Uh, we'll put a link in the blog. There you can learn about Jackie, the team, the services that she offers. Um, so we're going to direct you to go to that website. We'll all have a link for that as well. And so let me tell them about you. Jackie Jenkins Scott is a nationally recognized leader with more than three decades of experience in senior and executive leadership positions in public health, higher education, corporate, and nonprofit boards. She is widely recognized as a transformational leader, helping individuals and institutions achieve high performance and strategic results. And as I said, we gave you the link to her website. Please go there. Also, we'll have a link to the book so that you can get it on Amazon. This is both in a paperback version and Kindle version, right? Yes. Kindle too. So, um, so Jackie, let's just dig right in because leadership is a big thing today. Um, not only just um, in the United States, but I'm looking at it globally. The challenges that that we're having uh, with finding good leaders, right? Uh, and when I say good leaders, I mean even moral leaders. Um, this is this is a challenge. And in your introduction in your book, you state that the responsive leaders are focused on the people, the humanity, in quote, in the opportunity. And I know what you mean by opportunity, but I'll let you explain opportunity uh, to the listeners. Can you define responsive leadership and the characteristics of a person. We know when I, I had a gentleman on here uh, from Atlanta and he talked about moral leadership and actually he was involved with one of the colleges you were involved mm -hmm. with as well. And I'm just curious because it's just like, where are the moral leaders? <laughs> sure. Well, you know, Greg, uh, leadership is, there have been hundreds and hundreds and thousands of articles, books written on leadership. And um, it, is, um, it is a topic that there is no single answer that you can say, this is leadership. Uh, leadership has many, many components. But for me, when I wrote my book, I wanted to write a book about what I called responsive leadership. And that may be, there are all kinds of ways that one can lead. There's hierarchical leadership, there's authoritarian, there are all kinds of ways to think about how one leads. For me, I have in my career, and you see all this gray hair here <laughs> for, for many, many decades. You and I both I, have that. <laughs> I try to lead as a responsive leader. 
And what do I mean by responsive leadership? I mean that your core way of making decisions based on, is based on the humanity of the organization. No organization, whether for-profit, non-profit, can be successful without its people. People is what drives an organization. And so when I thought about how I have um, the successes and the challenges that I've had over my decades of leadership, uh, I try to lead as a responsive leader. And what I mean by that is that a responsive leader is driven by the humanity of his or her or the organization. And so we make our decisions based on that. Well, what do I mean? Let me give you a quick example. Uh, my cousin worked, this was when organizations were, companies were changing. I had a cousin who worked in uh, a very large media company in Los Angeles. And that company decided to outsource uh, one of its divisions. And she'd worked there for 10 years. Now, the right. decision, it, was a, it may have been a good business decision. Uh, for whatever reason, they had had this division in their company for decades, but they decided to outsource it to another comp- uh, another country. My cousin worked there for 10 years. They got two weeks notice. And then they were told if you wanted to get your final pay, you had to train the people from the country that this part of the business was being outsourced to. So my cousin, one of these people, she would help turn out the lights. So Greg, when you think about that, are there any other ways, not saying we changed the decision, but are there other ways we could have treated the people? So the people- Certainly, I mean, there's lots of better ways you could have treated the people. So responsive uh, responsive leadership, in my, my way of thinking about it, may have taken a different approach to that. You could have said to our people, first of all, is there any way we can give them more than two weeks notice? Second of all, are there some other things we could do? Severance pay. We incentivize <laughs> them to yeah. train the other people. We respect the contribution they have made to this organization. And so can you imagine training somebody to do your job when you've had two weeks notice and you've been told the only way you're going to get paid is to train these people? Do you think, how do you think that training went? Not very well. (laughs) (laughs) So that's an example, you know, a real example. And your audience may can think of some, some ways in their own life, in their workforce where something like that has happened. So we as leaders have choices, how we treat our people. And my my thought about responsive leadership is that we start with how we treat our people. Well, Even that's a, your example of your cousin is a, is a very good example. And if we wanted to list what a responsive leader would do, you know, they would have looked at severance. They would have given people a longer time. They may have given them an opportunity to move someplace else in the company. You know, in other words, hey, not here, but a different division. Um, there's a lot of things you could do. I mean, if they set their mind on getting cheaper labor overseas and that's the way they were going to be, 
then you can understand that. Not that it was the right decision, but it was a decision somebody made. Um, you know, sometimes the bean counters and the HR department and the upper management, they don't all agree on how to get that stuff done, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, Greg, what I think about, um, and I write in, in my book, uh, right at the very beginning, I call them the big four. And when you when we started talking about leadership, for me, a responsive leader, really, to the best of his or her or their ability, they try to live their leadership roles in using these four, what I call, um, you know, basic core values or core principles or core ways of, of operating. And um, often when I teach a class, I put these four up on the board and we talk about them. And you could find many attributes, but he, here are the four that I think pretty much we can put put everything under one of these four things. And the first for me, a responsive leader is has to be curious. Mm-hmm. I agree. Curious about your people. You're curious about the world around you. You're curious about your business model. You're always you're asking questions. You want to learn. You want to understand what drives your people, what drives your organization. So this issue of curiosity, uh, when people talk about innovation and where are the innovative companies, curiosity is a driver of innovation. So if you're curious, you're going to want to know, how can we do this better? Are there ways we can think about this? Or, or, or how's your family, Greg? How, how are you doing? So this issue of curiosity is, is, is the first for me. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. You know, of all the personal growth authors I've interviewed, there's a series of sequence of events that gets one to their purpose. And actually being curious is one of the first steps in the process of someone then taking, doing their purpose, then taking goals and having actions and being able to get there. But curiosity is a big one. Curiosity. The second one that I think is a huge driver for a responsive leader is humility. Because if we have humility, A, humility actually helps drive curiosity too. Because, you know, very often the leader is supposed to have all the answers. Well, we don't have all the answers. Well, humility also, it subsides the ego. Um, So, you know, we've seen egoistic leaders. Look, we had a past president that was that way. So the reality is, yes, that, I can see that humility and curiosity are just awesome. They're linked together. And humility says, you know what? Greg knows a lot more about this than me. And I'm going to respect Greg. And I'm going to use Greg. I'm going to be like a sponge because he has something that can help our company, help our organization be better and be stronger. So that humility allows us to, um, you know, open ourselves up for learning, for growth, for advancing our organization. Um, and, and actually, you know, someone asked me the other day about vulnerability as a leader. And um, humility allows you to be vulnerable. And, and it, it allows you to show uh, those around you, those in your organization, that I can be vulnerable too as the leader. I don't have it all. I don't have all the answers. And guess what? I don't want to have all the answers. Right. 
that's why you're leading a team of people or that's why you're leading the I always I always say too that you know uh that um uh accountability leads to autonomy. Yes. People say, "Oh, I want my autonomy." And I said, "Well, if you're accountable, then people aren't going to watch over your shoulder. You're going to have plenty of autonomy." That's right. right. There's always a correlating word between each of these. What are your other two? Empathy. Okay. The ability to want to put yourself in someone else's shoes. The ability to understand and empathy helps. So that example of my cousin that I gave you, if we were think about how I want to be treated if I'm given 2 weeks notice on my job. So the ability for a leader to show and have empathy is uh, a driver for curiosity, humility, treating people well. This person who talked with you about moral, a moral code of leadership, empathy helps to drive morality. In, in my 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 opinion, as I think about these things, and then the last one is resilience. Uh, that ability to bounce back, uh, to to keep going, uh, to see something through. Even though it isn't going, nothing goes exactly the way we think it's going to go. You know? <laughs> well, rarely. Uh, occasionally, well, it happens we can, way we, can, we can add a lot of things to that. But with resiliency, if you also have non-attachment to the outcome. Now, I don't mean that not to have goals. But the outcome doesn't always happen exactly the way you think it's going to happen or the way you planned it was going to happen. So yes. that's also flexibility, yes. right? And I think those are all good key characteristics. Now, you mentioned in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I actually worked with a gentleman that worked with Maslow, which was interesting. Oh, well, you can tell me something here. Well, maybe not, other than that the Maslow offered him to use this in uh, his sales trainings, right? So oh. it was Wilson Learning from Minnesota, Larry Wilson. And uh, he went down to go see, actually, uh, Abraham Maslow teaching. And he said, I'd like to use your concepts. And I know the hierarchy of needs is known by almost probably everybody listening to me. And the fact is that the top of the hierarchy is something called self-actualization. And I think, again, once you pass the food and shelter needs and the safety needs and all the other needs and you start to go up, you're there. And that at the peak of the pyramid, the focus is on the need to solve problems mm -hmm. and live a life infused with morality mm -hmm. and creativity. Mm -hmm. um, who are some of the leaders today that exemplify this peak leadership in your estimation? Because um, <laughs> I'm looking, I'm not, I'm not always finding, but I'm, you know, but I'm always looking. <laughs> you know, Greg, that's, I, I am sure it, it, when you're talking about, you know, world world renowned people, well, I'm saying uh, public leaders lately. It's been pretty tough to find. It has been pretty. <laughs> uh, the one I, when I think about someone who exhibits these talents, these skills, these values, uh, was John Lewis. Yeah, John Lewis. Oh yeah, he was I, amazing. I, I cannot think of anyone who had who exhibited more moral courageous leadership recently that we can remember and and um and who lived a life of humility 
a life of passion, a life of commitment, a life of empathy. And Lord knows he showed us resilience. Even in the darkest days, he kept saying, we can do this. We're going to do this. We can bounce back. When I thought about people that our audience might remember, that that is one person that I think it would be hard to uh, not agree that he was a responsive leader and that he was a moral leader and that he exhibited these, uh, as I call them, the big four um, attributes of, of leadership. I, I would have I would, a- I would agree with you of, of current time who he just passed away, not that long away. But, you know, when you look at him as a public figure, he was, he, he would voice his opinion, but, you know, I must look at him like uh, Mother Teresa, you know. She yeah. said, if you can't stand for something, why are you going to stand against it, right? That was one of her famous statements, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you look at Gandhi, and you look at, you know, Desmond Tutu, and you look at all of these people, when you really look at the core, it's really morality. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is the strongest thing that I think a leader could have would be that morality. Um, and for some reason, I don't know, the ego takes over when people and it's a test of money and power. Yes. Um, it's always a test of money and power and leadership because they have the power and they have the money. They have the money. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you said the first secret in your book of these seven secrets is take advantage of opportunity. Can you speak about this and the four big <clears throat> characteristic responsive that responsive leaders have? And also speak about the Howard Schultz Starbucks story and what drove him to build the kind of organization that He's continued to build. Now, I did step down as the CEO. Yes. He's now, he's now <laughs> back crazy. in again. He's back oh, in. Oh, yes, he is back. Yeah, oh, he came wow. back because things weren't going the way that, you know, oh. he wanted. So he is yeah. back in as the CEO. I didn't know that. When when did he step back in? About two months ago. Okay. Okay. So well, you know. All kinds of changes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow, that's uh, that's a I've learned something new today. That's that's so you know this business of opportunity is um, is very very interesting uh, to me, and I put it as the first of the seven secrets because very often um, we find ourselves in situations, and it is uh, it's hard to step out. And to take a chance on something. So I wanted to encourage my readers to not see opportunity from only the risk side of, you know, how will this hurt the organization or how will this hold the organization back or how will this hurt my leadership or hurt my growth or, but if you think about it from the, from the other side of it, why me at this time? What are the circumstances that's allowing uh, my company, my organization, to be able to be in a position to take a risk, to try this? What can we, what will this experience do to advance the organization, advance the people in the organization, advance our company, give our company an opportunity to grow? And what would hold us back 
if we didn't take this risk? How could it hurt us if we didn't take this risk? But as the leader, we have an opportunity to say, this has come before me at this time. What contribution can I make to advancing my company, advancing my organization? And, and, and do I have the courage to take the risk that this opportunity will bring? Now, opportunities require uh, curiosity. It requires an openness to thinking about uh, this situation. It requires a willingness to learn and to grow. It requires some humility because any opportunity may also backfire on us. Yeah, you know, and look, every opportunity uh, carries with it some degree of risk. Mm-hmm. I think a good leader brings their team around them and evaluates the risk factors associated with that opportunity and then as they say, has to pull the trigger uh, mm-hmm. or not, right? Uh, depending it. But like you said, the opportunity with all of these opportunities as a leader, there is some varying degree of risk. The less the risk, the easier to make the decision, the harder the risk, the harder to make the decision. But I think that's important that you pointed out. And I think the Schultz's story that that most people maybe know, maybe they don't. He came from humble beginnings in the housing projects. And what he always wanted to do is he, he just wanted to give people that work for him a better life. Meaning, so all the medical insurance benefits, all the things that he provides his employees, the 401ks, the, the time off of work, the way that he designed it was a result of a tragedy in his own family with his mother and father. Right. Yes. Um, and I've, you know, I'm not a big studier of him, but I certainly recognize, you know, higher salaries, more benefits, yeah. uh, time off, education. I'll pay for your education if you're a, you know, a, a, somebody serving coffee for me. Right. Um, I think those kind of things, like you just said about your, uh, was it your sister in law? The one that got kicked out, yeah, my cousin. cousin. Yeah. See that that would not happen at Starbucks, right? Because that is not the culture. That's not what they imbibe inside that company. And, so, and, and what I liked about Schultz is the, um, you know, the incident at his company, and he took a that what was could have been a nightmare disaster. In terms of what happened in Philadelphia, I believe it was Philadelphia with the, yeah, with the, the black men, mm-hmm. and he closed his entire company, mm-hmm. and for one day, for every the same day across the world, and everybody to train to train training. Now that was an that was a both an, a great opportunity, and it really served. It ended taking that risk to do that. To stand, take a moral position. You've been talking about morality, Greg. This was this was a moral position he took. This so should a lot not happen. The other thing that he did there, that he recently did, that a lot of companies did, but I think actually Starbucks was one of the first, which was to close all the stores in Russia. So oh. because of the this Ukrainian war and what Putin had done, 
many of corporations, as you know, McDonald's, a lot of them have said no. They come not, along. They're, they're, they come they're along. not going to do it. But Starbucks, I think, I can't say this for a fact, but we know they literally closed every location. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you do that and you like you think about what's the impact of the corporation with the thousands of stores that they yeah. had in Russia to do that, to say, hey, you can't act like this and allow us to still be here, right? So that is a perfect example of somebody saying, hey, look, well, we're willing to lose millions of dollars because this isn't right. Mm -hmm. That is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Well, that gets back to your question earlier. We were were asking about moral leaders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just just gave us an example of a living moral leader. That's a perfect example of a living moral leader. Now, you know, you speak about the steps to identify a good opportunity. What are those steps and what questions might a responsive leader ask to evaluate a good opportunity because we were just talking about the risks. Now they need to really ask some questions about the opportunity um, because we do know there are some risks with it. And you had four or five questions in the book um, that I, that I think would be good for our listeners to hear, you know, you're there, you're trying to make a judgment. You don't know which way to go. And as the leader, you know, one of the questions is about me as a leader with this opportunity. Why me? Why now? Can I actually execute? Can I deliver? What will it take for me to execute? What will it take for me to deliver? How much am I going to advance our organization? How much am I putting us at risk? And then we have to analyze the benefits of it. So I gave an example in, in the book of, um, you know, when I, I went to an organization that literally was in bankruptcy. I, there's another long, a long story to tell you about that, but uh, it was a former hospital. And it was a, over a hundred years old, over a century uh, years of age. And our buildings were falling apart. They were historic buildings. I knew nothing about historic buildings. But what I knew was that we needed to save the, these buildings because they, A, because of the history and the legacy and the women who had fought to get these to get this hospital started it was a hospital for women but more importantly for what the services that were being provided in those buildings as crummy as they were for our community so i took a big risk and got that whole campus not me all the so many people working with me listed on the national historic uh, register of historic places because we had received a real estate appraisal that told us the buildings were worth nothing. Tear them down, soft this, and this is going to make great condos in 15 or 20 years. Well, Boston is turning, there are new condos being built all over the place in Boston. But we felt like the people in that community needed the services. And rather than destroying something, let's rebuild it. Let's build it up. What would it take? So that was a huge risk for the organization because literally it was going to take millions and millions and millions of dollars to restore these buildings. And well, that to- you had to raise too. Yeah, so, we had to raise. <laughs> you know, it, it also takes a tremendous amount of courage. And that's another thing. I mean, you know, the, it, it, you talked about it in the book. A lot of times people are going to be uh, opponents. Yes, they're not. They're not going to agree with your decision. And yes. a good, st- strong leadership 
you know, I'm sure that Starbucks probably got plenty of opponents saying, hey, you're going to close down all these stores, you know, and and I, I think that's there. You know, your second secret is a compete well by listening with heart. And I can tell you're a person with big heart. That's why you're such a good leader. But speak with the listeners, if you would, about this this secret and the importance of being vulnerable. You talked about, you know, Brene Brown, vulnerability. We're, we've, we've all been gotten a big dose of that. Um, and humility, right? Also, what are some of the signs um, that you're leading with your heart? Now, I think you've said it because you just said, hey, look, I led with my heart with this hospital. I, I made a choice. I helped to make a choice to save these buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a heart-based decision because you yeah. saw the history, you saw the background, you saw the service to the people. Um, you know, and so how do we get more leaders to have this ability to be driven from their heart and make decisions that way? You know what um, I've learned, Greg? Especially when we look at, in, and people like to ask the question, you're nonprofit or for profit. And, and often when I give talks to, to, to business people, uh, I'll ask them, what is the difference between a nonprofit and a for profit? The only difference in terms of management is that a for profit, profits are going to the shareholders. So that's driving the decision makings of the for profit. Right? They want to know are we giving value to our shareholders? Nonprofit, the shareholder is humanity. It is the people. It is the, the mission, the values of the organization. That does not mean that a nonprofit doesn't make money or shouldn't make money. So, what I want to say to our audience is you can still make money by leading and doing right for your people. And at the end of the day, when we have a workforce that is not everybody will be happy. I, I don't want to use that. I'm not a. I'm I'm not an unrealistic person. We don't live in a world where happiness abounds. You know, <laughs> you know, flow overflowing. But we people want to feel satisfied. They want to feel respected. They want to feel valued. They want to feel heard. And when we're doing these things, leading those ways, that is leading, for me, leading with heart. If you can lead that way, that does not hold your company back from making money. And Starbucks is probably a great example. I haven't seen their balance sheet lately, but I can't imagine that Starbucks is not profitable. Well, you know, you bring up an important point, and one that I was going to mention, there's a gentleman, you might know him, I can't remember his name right now, he's been on the show several times, he's from Boston, mm. uh, he's the one who started the AIDS walks. Oh, he, Larry Kessler, yeah. Is it Larry? Well, he started AIDS Action, and they okay. started the AIDS okay. walks. Well, well it, someone on his team. This gentleman's not, this is the, I'll, I'll think of it, but... The point you made about a for-profit and a non-profit comparison between the two and that where that money is going, you know, he writes because most people who are donors, he's dealing with donors mm-hmm. and they're saying, well, you know, where's that money going? But the non-profit has a right to make a profit so that it can do that. It can continue you know, to do its work. Even though they call it a non-profit, it, yeah. it, it has to have the funds yeah. and he has to distinguish for uh, donors 
you know, really the understanding of that basic concept you were just talking about, right? Um, so you said, you know what donors would say, you know what donors would say, Greg, if he was running huge deficits and they would say poor management. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, your third secret is to keep your bags packed. Uh, mm-hmm. I get it. You know, it's like something may happen. You may got to pick up and leave. Uh, what are some of the external influences that can change in ways that require a leader to move on? Okay. There were many of them you pointed to. Yes. yes. L- let me tell you, this has been something that has been with me since I was a young, young, uh, just out of graduate school. And I heard a speaker. His name was John Boone. He was the first black commissioner of corrections in Massachusetts. This is many, many decades ago. And he gave a talk. And when he talked about keeping your bags packed, it was not about uh, profitability or, you know, fighting with management. It was about understanding what your core values are. What where are you stand for? What, what do you stand for? Where are your lines in the sand? Yeah. And he said it, it was really about, you know, understanding what makes you tick as a person, as a leader. And, and having the courage to live out your values. Mm-hmm. And I want to say to our audience, every single leader will be challenged at some point in their career with a moral decision. Is this the right thing to do for my company, for right. the organization, for the people I work with? We will all be forced to make some sort of decision. And if we don't know where our line in the sand is, then we're we're bound to end up, you know, having issues and having problems. So his his issue about keeping the bags packed was more about that. And what I would say to you right now is, as hard as it is, that is really has to be, you know, top of mind for so many leaders. I'm in higher education, and we're seeing in the Boston area a number of college presidents deciding to step down. Mm -hmm. And part of it, I think, has been because these past few years have been very, very, been challenging for us all. But there were many, many decisions that we, that leaders in higher education have had to make. And so this issue of when am I, going to be either challenged to do something, undertake something that really um, digs too much into my heart, into my soul, or when can I, when am I not as effective as I need to be as a leader? So that's what this business about keeping your bags packed is about. Because if we have that mindset that as hard as it is, as hard as I love this place, it's time for me to walk away. You can make those decisions as hard as they are. You have the ability to step forward and make them. So that's that's what I meant by that, Greg. Well, and you did a good job of that. I think that, look, in uh, if your values are being compromised as a leader, the line in the stand, sand is when they're being compromised to the degree that you can't live with that anymore. And I can use a perfect example of somebody I've been working on an ESOP for this company. The owner came in crying into the boardroom. It's a big company. 
CEO. And literally, this is a man in his 60s, doesn't show much emotion most of the time, but this time did, because one of his employees that was out in the field was managing clients in an untrustful way. So the clients didn't trust what they said they were going to do. In other words, they were upselling them. Oh, you need this. You need that. You need that. And that was not this man's morality. This was his, you know, he built this company on trusting relationships with these customers and he's seeing himself lose customers as a result of how some of these employees have been treating these customers unethically. Mm -hmm. And he was appalled so much to the point that emotionally he was just distraught when he walked in the room. That's the kind of thing where you cross the line and you start thinking about, you know, are you going to pack your bags? And he even said to me, he said, I I think maybe I, you know, I (laughs) might want to like get somebody else in here to run this thing. You know what I mean? So legacy, he wanted to leave. He, he he did, but it's his company and he owns all of it 100%. Now, look, we've covered a lot of your secrets. And I think for purposes of time, I'm going to skip forward. And I'm going to let the listeners actually get a copy of the book. This is a great book. And it, you know, we did cover Keep Your Bag Pack, uh, Echo One Message at a Time, and Look for Opposition. But Jackie, you filled it with stories, great stories, some of your own, some of we were talking about Howard Schultz, examples of responsible leaders. If you were to leave the listeners with the most important takeaways from your book, what would it be and how can they apply them to their leadership skills today? Something that they could take away. I think we've talked about a lot already, sure. um, but is there anything in particular that you'd like to leave them with that they could really work on? Well, I guess, Greg, what I would say is continue to be curious about you, yourself. What's driving you? What's driving you in your leadership role? What's driving your organization? And that curiosity is going to lead you to wanting to be better. It's going to lead you to wanting to be stronger. It's going to lead you to asking these questions that you talked about in terms of that we're all struggling with in terms of morality, in terms of our own way of of being in the world we live in. And uh, I think if we are continuously asking ourselves these questions, I don't want us to get morbid and, and and, and be ineffective, but we have to constantly question. And if we're doing that, I think it's going to make us stronger leaders. It's going to make us. I would say your curiosity is probably one of the key things. It it really is. And, you know, I don't do a podcast show because I'm the greatest podcast guest or host. I I do a podcast show because I'm curious. Mm -hmm. And if there is one, I've always been that way. My whole life, I've always asked questions and wanted to know why and how do we fix it? And, you know, good leaders are problem solvers. You know, it's it's what you do. You find a problem, you figure out a way to solve that problem with your team, with the support of them, because many of them are much smarter than you. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, I give credit to where the intelligence comes from. You know, I come from a spot because doing shows on spirituality, business, personal growth, and wellness, there's a master intelligence above us if you look for it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You're getting signs and symbols all the time if you're tapped into your intuition. Yeah. So if you're curious, there's a good chance you're probably pretty intuitive yeah. as well. Yeah, you can and, feel it. And you can feel things. You can, you know, some people feel things. Some people say they see a vision of something. Mm-hmm. Some people sense it in a different way. You know, we've got four ways in which we can sense it. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is that for me, it's a feeling. Yeah. It's a feeling about a person, a circumstance, an event, something that happened. Um, I also believe that I see signs. In other words, a bird flies by or something else. And I know I'm a little bit off track here, but if you're but your curiosity good, is allowing you to even look at that bird flying by because right. some people don't see the bird flying by. Well, see the bird or, and then think about what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Not just seeing the bird, it's actually seeing the bird and what, symbol or sign was I getting? What message was I getting? You know, those are important to me. And people would say, well, you're half cocked. You know, you don't make decisions that way. And I'd say, yeah, I do make a lot of decisions based on that. You know, Uh, it's just the way it is. But this is a great book for all of you. Uh, Go pick up a copy of this book. Uh, We've been on with Jackie Jenkins Scott. Her website again is jjsadvising.org, not com.org. And Jackie, thanks so much for being on Inside Thank Personal you, Greg, Growth. for having me. It was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed it so much. I really did. Thanks so much to you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.